imagine that in front of you is a plain white t-shirt and in your hand is a black marker pen. And what I want you to do in your mind's eye this morning is to write on the front of that t-shirt something about you you would not be proud of. Uh, something that you regret, some wrong that you've done or something in your character that you, you don't particularly like and actually you recognize is wrong. Something you feel guilt over. Have you got something in your mind's eye this morning on the front of that t-shirt? And here's what I want you to imagine next. I want you to imagine that, that with that t-shirt marked with maybe the worst thing you've ever done, you're to put that t-shirt on this morning and walk into church, into the presence of God and his people. Feels uncomfy, doesn't it? And I want you to imagine worse still that it is your job this morning to come up into this pulpit wearing that t-shirt and preach God's word, preach the gospel of grace to other people. Or to go out on the streets as part of the team, to be the public face of the Lord Jesus, telling others about him when you are just so aware of everything on that t-shirt. Okay, the awkward moment is over, you can open your eyes. That's an uncomfortable thought, isn't it? But here is the reality, it can be very hard, very uncomfortable when we are aware of all that is wrong in us, to be around God, let alone to be the people that God would use, the people he asks to speak on his behalf. Now I know full well that you go to a church where masters Liam and Paul weekly, if not daily, will say to you, it is our duty to be going and telling the gospel to other people. They say that nearly every week, right? You can answer. Yeah, they do, it's almost annoying. And it's annoying, isn't it? Because we feel the difficulty of that. That is a hard thing to do when actually we know for a fact Jesus shouldn't want me, let alone use me. We feel that for me to be the one who goes out and tells other people about the gospel is just hypocritical because of what we are like. We feel disqualified, inadequate from serving and speaking for Jesus. Think about that thing on your t-shirt this morning. Maybe for you that was something from your past, something that you've done that kind of hangs over you, some wrong that you've done that has you on probation from serving and speaking for Jesus. Maybe it wasn't from your past, maybe it's your personality, that you feel you're like a ripped trampoline that we should not bounce the gospel into other people's lives from. Maybe for you it wasn't your personality, maybe it's something you do in private. At the top deck level we might look at you this morning and think you're a great vehicle for the gospel. But you know that beneath the surface, you're the Titanic. Water is streaming in. And so how can you be the vessel of God's grace out into a world that needs to hear about it? But whatever those things on your t-shirt were this morning, whatever it is in your life or in your heart that makes you sit on the bench when it comes to speaking to others about Jesus, I want you to hear from him this morning. And to hear from him, we're going to turn to Luke chapter five. So if you've got a Bible, let me encourage you to grab it again. If you've not, wave a hand and a steward would love to bring you one. And we're gonna go to Luke chapter five to hear what Jesus would say as we put ourselves on the bench from serving him. If you're using one of these church Bibles, I stole one two years ago and I've still got it. So it's page 1032, Luke chapter five, 1032. And as you turn there, let me set the scene. We're going to the seaside this morning so you can smell the salt and feel the breeze. And as we do, we're gonna meet two men. And the question is, what does one have to do with the other? What does Jesus have to do with Simon? And to help you track the drama, you might find it helpful as we read to keep noticing where is Simon's boat, because it's on the move and it helps us to see something of what's happening in this passage. 
Let me read for you from Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, we call that the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Amen, this is God's word. See the two men at the start of the story? Jesus and Simon Peter. What's Jesus up to in verse 1? Look with me. He is on his one-man preaching mission to the world. There's four chapters that have led up to this in Luke's gospel. And Jesus has been delivered as the one who's going to preach God's word, God's message of salvation. And of course, as he preaches the very word of God, there are crowds gathering to hear him. Wouldn't you want to hear someone who spoke like that? And as they crowd into him, it seems that Jesus has a need for a pulpit. And so he takes inspiration from the layout of Charlotte Chapel's new building. And he thinks, as he sees a bay and as he sees a boat, here is God's amphitheater for this sermon. And so he asks of Simon Peter, can I borrow your boat? He's not using it. He's just cleaning out his nets, not because he's caught so many fish, but because he's caught just a couple of cones and shopping trolleys that the boys of Galilee had put in in a great prank. Ha ha. It's a small request though, isn't it? Can I borrow a boat you're not using? It's a bit like when I ask my neighbor if I can borrow his pressure washer. He's not using it. It's not going far. He can still see it, and he'll have it back by the evening. And so to this small request, this easy yes, to help Jesus preach, Simon says, yes, so where is the boat? The end of verse 3. It is out a little in the bay. I think we've got some pictures that go with this of a boat out a little bit into the bay. That all seems very normal and very sedate, doesn't it? A boat just pushed out a tiny bit. But boy, oh boy, it starts to ramp up in verse 4. Look with me, verse 3, the boat was out a little. Verse 4, what does Jesus say? Put out into deep water. Jesus is pushing the boat out. He's testing Simon Peter's willingness to do what he says. It's a pretty clear request. The request is to go fishing again. That's what Jesus wants Simon Peter to do. Now, if you're Simon Peter, right, and it's your job to fish, you're a pro. And along comes this preaching carpenter, and he tells you how to do your job when you've just had a pretty rubbish night. How do you feel? What do you say? 
You say, stay in your lane, Jesus. I don't know what you've been reading in Carpentry Quarterly, but you obviously don't subscribe to Angling Weekly. Because if you did, you know that your request is ridiculous. We fish at night because the fish don't see the boat coming and they don't see the shadow of the net. And we have fished when we were meant to and caught nothing. And now you say, go fishing when we shouldn't. This is a time waste. This is as if someone got caught in traffic in Hoyk at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Thursday. And now the request is to go around the Edinburgh Bypass at 4 on a Friday. It makes no sense. And yet it's what Jesus asked. And look at Simon Peter's response. He doesn't say, stay in your lane. Look at verse 5. Simon answered, Master, see the respect? We have worked hard all night. Here's the reality. We haven't caught anything. But look at this. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. I don't know if you ever had that at school or at university when you had a very powerful and an enigmatic teacher and they could kind of get you to go along with stuff you wouldn't usually say yes to. I was at a preaching training conference, and because I'm a subservient, lower middle class boy, there was an upper class teacher, and he was just very enigmatic and charming, and so we all did everything he said, no matter how nuts it was. Maybe that is the respect Simon feels for Jesus. Here is a master, a teacher, who is teaching God's word. It is worth taking a punt on what this man says. And so where is the boat? End of verse five. It is out into the deep. And as they go out into the deep, Part two of the fishing trip takes place. They let down the nets. Now what do you expect in verse six? Two sunburnt fishermen and a better look next time. What do we find? Look with me at verse six. This is ridiculous. When they had done so, they caught a lot, such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. You can hear the fibers straining. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat, which comes skimming across the water, to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full. You can see the Israeli biceps straining to bring this catch on board. So full that they began to sink. Do you see what's happening in this passage? What is the conclusion you're meant to make when you've had a fruitless night when you were supposed to fish and then in the daytime you see fruit the likes of which you've never seen? A miracle has taken place. That's the conclusion. Do you see that in their hearts? Verse 9, they were astonished. They had seen something incredible. The pros had failed in the night, but the amateur had succeeded in the day. It's a miracle. And what do they conclude from the miracle? Well, they conclude something about Jesus Christ. This one who was preaching and borrowing boats and sending them fishing is the one who has worked this miracle. Here is the one who commands heaven and earth. Here is a man who can say to fish who have evaded capture all night, come on sunshine, it's time to get in the net. I want you served up with batter and chips and wrapped in newspaper with salt and sauce if you're from Edinburgh or salt and vinegar if you're normal. And what does the fish say to Jesus? fish says, yes, here is the one who commands heaven and earth. The one who many had come to hear is the Lord over creation, the Lord over everything. So where is the boat? It is beginning to sink, end of verse 7. And as the boat sinks, so does Simon Peter's heart. As the boat sinks under the weight of this catch, Simon Peter's heart begins to sink under the weight of what this miracle reveals to him. He's just realized something incredible. He has realized who he is with and who he is. 
And suddenly, despite having surely very solid sea legs, he begins to feel all kinds of sick. Do you see what he's realized? Verse 5, look with me, he called him master. Look at verse 8. What does he call him now? What does he call him when he's seen him command fish? Go away from me, Lord. He knows who Jesus is. And his presence on his boat makes him feel profoundly uncomfortable. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of being in company that makes you feel queasy. Uh, For me, I had this about eight years ago when I was invited by uh, the people who today are the poshest people I've ever met. And they invited me to come and live and work with them in the summers while I was studying at Harriet Watt University. And I went to their house for the first time. And their drive was longer than my street. Their house was bigger than my primary school. The dad was on the phone to a family called the Hibbert Hinkstons. It was just so Radio 4, it almost made Radio 4 look rough. Do you know what I mean? Their dogs had names that would be pretentious on children. And then their son invites me to go and shoot bunnies in the back field. How did I feel? The young lad from Manchester. I wanted out. I was suddenly aware of every way in which I was not like them and that I didn't belong there. Though they'd invited me into their home, I couldn't sit on their sofas because they belonged in a historic Scotland house and I was wearing trackies and not even the posh kind Canterbury's but the unposh kind Umbro. I didn't belong and I felt sick. That is the feeling that is flooding Simon Peter's heart and it is not because Jesus is posh and it is not because he's just been schooled at fishing. Look at what he's realized. He has realized who Jesus is, Lord. And what else does he know about himself? Verse 8. Go away from me, Lord. Why? I am a sinful man. Here's the realization he's made. That not only is Jesus the most powerful being in the cosmos, but as the most powerful being in the cosmos, he is holy and pure and light. And that throws all kinds of shade onto the truths that Simon Peter would have written on his t-shirt were he here this morning. Suddenly he is aware of every way in which he is not like Jesus and he feels like we did at the start. I can't be here. I can't be asked to do something for this Jesus. He feels like Isaiah did in that reading that Ashley read for us. Woe is me. I can't be in here. But the big difference is happening on the shores of his life. The God of heaven and earth in all of his holiness and all of his power has crashed on the shore of Simon Peter's existence and he is freaking out. And what does he know? He knows Jesus is ramping up his requests. He's going to push the boat out more. And so Simon Peter screams, before you push the boat any further with me, Jesus, know that I'm a sinner and you've got to go. I shouldn't be around you, let alone be used by you. And that's the moment where we get to the heart, the surprising and beautiful heart of our passage this morning. Uh, I've got a 19-month-old daughter, and so I was thinking about how I would teach this passage to her. And of course, if you're preaching a seaside scene, where do you teach that? In the bath, right? That's where you teach things about water and boats. And I was thinking of how I would illustrate this point to her, and here is what I would say to my daughter. I would say this from Luke 5. Jesus doesn't desire your dinghy. He has no real need for your net. He's not fussed for your fish. The beautiful truth of this passage is this. Jesus wants Simon, the sinner that he is. He wants you, sweetheart, is what I would say from Luke 5. 
Here is the stunning truth of this passage. What does Jesus want from that whole scene? He wants Simon, the sinner that he is. There is no disagreement between Simon and Jesus. In fact, Jesus knows with x-ray vision what would be on that shirt. And Jesus knows that he is the Holy One of God. And yet here he is, come into the world for the very reason that he might get face to face with a Simon Peter and say, you are rightly afraid, but do not be afraid. Stunning, isn't it? In his grace, he speaks words of immense comfort to a terrified sinner. This guy feels so aware of everything that's wrong, but Jesus says, you can feel comfy in my presence. Simon feels like he can never be of any use to Jesus, but Jesus gives him a word of call into his service. Look with me at the second half of verse 10. Look at what Jesus says. He says, oh Simon, oh sinner, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. I want you and I want to use you. Will you come fishing with me? Do you see in this seaside picture, a picture of the grace of Jesus that he would show to each one of us that he has on purpose come into a world full of horrendous people whose t-shirts look putrid and say to each one of us this morning, I want you and I can use you. My desire is to remove your fear that you rightly feel before me, a holy God. Now here is the part that I hope you have heard many times from this pulpit, but maybe it's your first time here this morning. Here is the amazing truth from the picture of this passage. God, in the person of Jesus, has come into the world to throw a net of saving grace around sinners. That is what he has come for, to catch them to himself, to bring them in through his forgiveness. So every reason we would say to Jesus, get away from me, he says, that's the reason I've come. Here is what he does. He will take from a Simon Peter, from a you and me this morning, that t-shirt that we wear, and he will put it on himself at the cross, bearing all of our sin and all of its shame and all of the punishment due to it from a holy God, and bear it in our place. And what does he do to us? He covers us with his very righteousness that we need never be afraid around him. In his love, he gives us a new garment of the love of God that instead of saying all of our sin, says called and chosen and loved before the foundation of the world, you are mine, Simon Peter, and I am yours. What a net of grace. Do you see the real miracle? That a holy God brings a sinful man into his family forever. That is the great catch of Luke 5. A holy God saves a sinner. Now I hope you've heard that lots of times from this pulpit. I hope that that is what you understand by the grace of God to you. But here is the grace. Not simply this, that he would catch you. But that in his awesome grace, having pulled you out of your sin, that he would use you to cast the net of salvation to other people. That by his grace, every saved fish might be a sent fisherman. That is the power of his transforming grace, that the nets of grace would be filled not just with us, but by us as we cast it into the world. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Not simply, don't be afraid, I can save you. He's saying, don't be afraid, I can use you. I want you, you, you to be a messenger of my grace into this world, to go back into the pond you are plucked from and do some fishing with me. See the truth of the passage? 
Sinners are who Jesus will catch and cast with. Sinners are who Jesus will catch and cast with. He is on a mission of grace in the world. And if you notice with me of chapter 5 verse 1, he is on a solo mission of grace to the world. But if you were to read on in Luke and then into his sequel, the book of Acts, you would see that he wants to build a team who would preach his gospel to the world. And that team is exclusively made up of sinners. No one else is allowed on the preaching team except for sinful people who know they need grace and have found grace in Jesus. That is his plan. So hear this from this passage. Jesus does not need a pulpit. He is not here simply to multiply services. He is here for a people who will live and speak his grace to other people. He wants people who know they don't deserve to be wanted. Take the time this afternoon to read the rest of his recruitment drive in Luke 5. He takes someone who is unclean, unable, and at the end, downright unlovable. And he makes them his messengers of grace. If you would say in your sin this morning, I am unfit for the presence of a holy God, then understand in his grace, the Lord Jesus would say to you this morning, I can fit you for my service. Sinners are who I will use to be beacons of grace and hope into a world that needs it. Maybe you would say wearing that t-shirt this morning, Jesus, I have no business with you. He says, I have business with you. And he says, I have business for you. In grace, every one of us is brought in and every one of us is brought onto the boat that we might go fishing with Jesus Christ. Do you see what Jesus says this morning to us? See what he would say from his cross, where he would deal with sin and fit us by his grace to serve him? He says, get in the net. If you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus, this is a day of opportunity for you. You can get into the net of Jesus' grace and never be afraid to meet with a holy God ever again, having trusted in his cross for your sin and his resurrection to make you just before him forever. You can be right with God. Don't be afraid. But hear what he says to every single one of us. And yes, I mean you this morning, if you're counting yourself out already. He does not just say, get in the net. He says, get on deck. Come fishing with me. That is the invitation of Jesus Christ to you this morning. I want to go fishing. Maybe you've never been asked to be, go on a fishing trip by anyone. Maybe your dad didn't want to take you fishing. But the God of heaven and earth wants you to come fishing with him. Isn't that stunning grace? He wants to use you, but I'm a sinner. That is the only type of people he uses. You could read on in the rest of Luke, and it's amazing, actually. I only thought of this this week. In the rest of the book of Luke, there is no more preaching from angels. In fact, Jesus deliberately silences demons. They're not allowed to preach. He doesn't allow self-righteous people who are good in themselves to preach the gospel because they don't get it. And even at the end of the gospel, Jesus stops preaching himself. He leaves. But as the gospel ramps on and as the book of Acts continues, it is sinners and sinners and sinners and sinners who are allowed to preach his gospel. Even when he sends the Spirit, does the Spirit preach? No. The Spirit enables sinners to preach. That is the only type of people he uses. Because this is the plan of God from before the foundation of the world for Jesus to save and that salvation in his name would be preached by us to every tribe and tongue and people and language around the world. Why on earth would you do it that way, God? (laughs) Surely angels would make better preachers. They're certainly better looking than me in the pulpit this morning. 
Why would you do it that way? Because no one preaches grace better than those who know they need it and who are sure they have found it in God's son, Jesus Christ. We go out casting because we are amazed that he would catch us and say to us, will you come fishing with me, son? It's beautiful, isn't it? You will preach well to others when you are amazed at what Jesus has done for you and amazed at what he is able to do with you. So here's the question, do you live like the saving grace of Jesus that would call you on board and ask you to fish like is the most profound truth in your whole life this morning? Do people around you know that about you? Maybe you're here today and actually you feel a million miles away from that. Actually, you read Luke's, Luke 5 and you hear a sermon like this and you think Jesus just seems demanding. In fact, Jesus kind of takes liberties, doesn't he? Shows up at this guy's life and he wants his stuff and him to end his career. Verse 11, he wants him to leave it all and follow him. Maybe you feel annoyed when Paul and Liam and Andy and others keep asking you to preach the gospel. They invite you to do things as absurd as move to Hoik for the sake of the gospel or to go on a church plant which is slightly cooler. But I tell you what, it's way less good. Maybe you feel like Actually, I'd be fine if they just asked for a bit of my boat or, or a cut of the fish. That's okay. But stop intruding on my life. Back off a little bit, Jesus. My friend, if you're feeling that this morning, understand this. You have missed the point of verses 6 and 7. And you haven't really felt the heart of verse 8. Verse 6 and 7 say this. That everything in that scene and so everything in this room rightly belongs to Jesus Christ. To turn around and say, it's my life, would be like my little girl turning around to me and saying, Daddy, it's my room. What would I say? Sweetheart, it's my house. <laughs> and you don't pay rent. <laughs> Understand this. Life is not something that we own, but our lives are much more like a rental car. We belong to God. And the issue that we felt on our t-shirt is that we have taken his vehicle and we have ignored the terms and conditions. We have ignored the fact that it will rightly return to him and we have wrecked the vehicle with everything we do and say and think and feel. And until you see that truth that Jesus owns life and I have not lived it for him, you will not feel the reality of verse eight, the awkwardness of the picture we're about to see. That having borrowed a life from Jesus, we have made such a wreck of it and we are now before him at the claims counter. Can you imagine this? Bring up the picture. Oh, it's so painful. Painful that it's not working too. Like I said, technology is not my bag. But imagine if you were returning to the claims desk this morning at Enterprise Rent-A-Car and the car is banged up. The alloys are scratched. The windmill is smashed. That is how Simon Peter feels in verse 8. I have been given life by God and I am meeting with the very God that I have wronged. Not just that he is the holy one, but he is the very one who personally I have wronged. That is what it is to feel, verse 8, to feel utterly ashamed. And yet here is the amazing grace of Jesus. And if you haven't understood this yet, keep thinking of that picture. Here is what Jesus Christ is saying in verse 10. He looks at that wreck that you have done that has violated him and instead of saying you pay because I'm going to scrap it he says I'll pay because I want to drive it that's what Jesus is saying you've wronged me you've wrecked my vehicle and yet I will buy it again at the cross and I will use you you absolute wreck of a human being to be a vehicle, an instrument of my grace to the world until you feel that picture you will not feel rightly what is felt in verse 8 
And it's only when you felt verse eight and heard verse 10 that you will ever do verse 11. Some of us get stuck at verse eight, but if you've met with his grace, if you've met with a Jesus who would take you and use you just as you are, then and only then you'll say verse 11, I'll leave everything, follow you, and go fishing for human souls. That is what happened to Simon Peter that day. He met with a God of grace, and he met with a God of unbelievable power, who in his grace could take him from fruitless to incredibly fruitful. What an encouraging picture. Sinners can be made useful by God. You could have had a fruitless night, but listen, in the hands of Jesus, oh, he's good at catching fish. He's amazing at catching fish. If you're not encouraged yet, think of Simon Peter's life. What does he go on to do? Now, he's a nightmare disciple, whole of Luke's gospel, foot in his mouth, useless, right? Still a sinner. But what happens in Acts 2? Full of the Spirit, he stands up and preaches the first full Spirit-empowered Christian sermon and 3,000 fish hop on deck. Unbelievable scenes. He's written two of the books that are in your Bible this morning through whom's preaching many more have been saved. It's an amazing thing that when people say yes to the simple invitation of Jesus to come fishing, he can do incredible things with him. But understand this, unless you've got his grace, you will still be annoyed as we ask for more. Unless you've got his grace, you will be anxious that you can never be used. But when you have understood his grace, you will be amazed that he has saved you and can speak through you to this world. Jesus is saying, come fishing. Will you say yes? Will you say yes to a Jesus who in his grace wants you on board? What might it look like for you to say yes this week? You're probably not going to become an apostle. In fact, if you think you are, let's have a chat after. You might feel called though into ministry or to be a missionary around the world, to leave it all and go. Praise God if that's you this morning. I know that Andy Patterson would love to talk to you. Maybe for you and for most of us, that's not the case. But I hope you see that you're not exempt. Every saved fish is called to be a saved by grace fisherman. And so what will you do? Will you say yes to Jesus? Maybe the first step in that is to stop being defined by your sin and to start to be defined by his grace that would qualify you and use you to be a great messenger in his world. Remember, he can save even you and he has sent even you. Maybe for you to say yes to Jesus looks like giving him more than you currently do. Right? Don't hold back. Don't just give him the boat. Don't just let him use your career. Understand this, Jesus wants to use you to reach human beings, and you're one of them. That's what Jesus wants from you. He wants people to tell people. What will it look like for you to say yes to Jesus? I've noticed that when men go on a fishing trip, they love to plan. Have you notice that? They get really pernickety about the tackle box and the swims that they're going to fish in, and they get very excited about wearing waders. Don't know what that's about. But when people want to go fishing, they get serious and they plan. Maybe that's a step you need to take this morning when it comes to fishing for people, to begin to be deliberate, to plan to fish. Maybe for you that means you're going to change the swim that you fish in. You're going to move to Hoik or on a church plant in a year's time or some other move for the sake of the gospel because you know that there's other waters. Waters like Hoik where the fish are teeming and there are very few hands on the nets. Maybe for you it means I'm going to deliberately stay put but I'm gonna think hard about how I fish where I am. 
I wonder how many of you at the start of the week take out your calendar and ask God to direct you to times and places where you will spend time with lost fish. I wonder if you, to take out your phone book, please do this this afternoon and pray, God, who would you have me spend time with this week who needs to be caught? Maybe that's the next yes for you. I know you hear that call all the time in this church. Let me end by inspiring you. I want you to imagine the last day of our universe. When the last hole is being brought in, when the season is finished, on the last day as Jesus stands on the shores of eternity and he is bringing in his hall of grace from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and language. And imagine Simon Peter stood with him on the shores of eternity and they're hauling in and Simon is stood next to Jesus hauling in and he sees the faces of people from Acts chapter two and says, Jesus, we got them. We got them, they're here, they made it. Imagine it's us stood with Jesus on the shores of eternity bringing in the final haul. And imagine we're bringing in people and we look into their eyes and I see James and Lynn and John Lee and Andrew from Hoyk and I say to the Father with Jesus, here I am and the people you gave me. Imagine hauling in a tin can on that awesome day Imagine instead hauling in the person who you look at in your phone book this afternoon. Imagine hauling in someone from a different part of the world because you moved there for the sake of the gospel. Imagine bringing in some fish on the last day into an eternity that will never fade, full of glory and grace. Understand this, Jesus is catching fish. He's able and he wants to use you. Let me pray.